you're listening to The Health Classes You Missed. My name is Monica and I am a secondary school health teacher with a passion for all things health. Whether you're currently at school or finished 20 years ago, this podcast will help you understand those topics that may have been skimmed over, considered inappropriate or flat out ignored. So sit up straight, faces forward, let's get into it. Hi guys and welcome back to another episode. I am very excited today, very, very excited. I have a guest, unfortunately not in the studio, Um, has to be a Zoom job for this one, but that's okay. I've got Bradley with me, joining me on the health classes you missed. He is a keynote speaker and a storyteller and a bloody good one at that. Some of you, like me, might have heard of him from Dylan Friends. He did an episode there recently and I heard that and I thought, geez, I know nothing about cystic fibrosis. So I sent Brad a message and I said, hi, I learned a lot just in the small amount of information that you, you know, mentioned on Dylan Friends episode and I really want to know more about this disorder. I want to know more about how it's affected your life. Bradley is such an inspirational guy. He is just insane. I am not often speechless, but I think the way that he speaks and just how he holds himself and his outlook on life is just so bloody inspirational. It's insane. It is absolutely insane. I actually, again, I I have no words. I can't explain it. You guys just need to listen to it. I messaged him. I said, let's have a chat. He was keen to come on. I'm very, very grateful for that. So thank you so much to Brad for, for taking the time to come and have a chat with me and of course, share his story with you guys. Let's get into it. All right. Thank you, Bradley, so much for coming on and joining me on the health classes you missed today. I am stoked to have you here. It's so good to be here. I love the, I was saying to you before, I love the concept of the podcast. Like I Thank love you. what this has been built on and I think it's a great idea and it's so essential. I feel like more than ever, more than ever, like health is such a an interest point for so many people. Yeah. And I know that like I've got a whole story behind my own personal health, but like when it comes to my everyday health, yeah, I, I just get more and more interested as I get older. Yeah, for sure. You know, I've, I've always loved it, but I think just like there's something about what I do physically and what I do mentally, how much of an impact that has on just day-to-day life that I'm learning and just becoming more aware of as yeah. I get older. Um, older as in I'm 27 and <laughs> I'm starting to feel some of the aches and the pains of the stuff that I did when I was younger. Yeah. But I feel like it's it's such an important topic to speak on and, and I love the concept behind this. So I want to congratulate you on that to start with. Oh, thank you. Stop it. This sounds like I'm on bloody – you're interviewing me. I mean, it makes sense because thank you. Thank you. No, I I really do appreciate that. And I think that's interesting. Like um, I thought that my audience would be predominantly kids, like younger people age, you know, maybe 14 to 19 sort of thing. But it is more people our age, like mid-20s, late-20s, who maybe like – the podcast suggests didn't uh, didn't learn about the health stuff that that we probably should have, and so it is cool to learn about it a bit later in life, I think, and kind of feel like you've got that autonomy over yourself and be able to understand what your body's doing. Well, I think it's like I'm super conscious of the fact that what I did on a health level or on a day to day level in terms of the food I consumed, the way that I slept, my habits 
didn't affect me as much when I was younger. Mm. But now, like, if I have a shit sleep, oh, man. like, the next day I'm like, oh, I'm so mentally challenged yep. in the middle of an interview or yep. if I'm out doing something for work. So I've noticed how important my health habits are just for, like, daily function. Yeah. And, and I think it makes same. you just so interested in health. Yeah. And I don't want to be, like, unconscious of it either. Yeah. You know, I, know, I don't want it to get worse and I don't want to just go on a downward spiral of like not paying attention to those little things. Yeah. So I'm so – like I've got a whoop. I wear a whoop every day. I track my sleep. What's a – oh, is that a sleep tracker? I don't even know you what know a whoop, whoop is. the whoop strap? No, I don't even know what a whoop is. It's, it's the best thing. So it's like – it's like a membership. Yeah. And it's big over in the US and the UK with a bunch of athletes and I've, I've noticed here it's starting to pick up a little bit. Okay. You know the aura rings? Yeah. It's kind of like an aura ring. But except instead of just sleep, it tracks, like, exercise as well. Okay. But the whole thing is it's less about tracking, like, the quality of a workout, more about tracking the quality of recovery and how the body responds to stress and exercise. That's cool. All right, whoop. There's your first recommendation for the bloody episode. (laughs) Huge, huge. And it's, like, it's pretty affordable, I think. And I reckon it's the first time I've become super conscious of how important my sleep and recovery is. Yeah. Because it's not hard for me to be disciplined when it comes to training because I really enjoy training. Yeah, cool. But to get into bed that extra hour earlier... Yeah. And to do those things that affect my recovery and do that consistently is something I have to pay more attention to. Yeah. Well, it's like the uh, – it's the habit stuff, isn't it, where you're like, oh, God, I I don't usually go to bed at bloody 9 p.m., but now I've got to. Yeah, I feel like I've, I've read this quote or heard this quote a number of times from James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits. Oh, great book. And – I've not actually read it. Oh, you need to. It's really good. I probably need to. Yeah. And there was one thing that I picked up from someone shared on Instagram, like a quote from it, and it was that we rarely rise to the level of our goals but rather fall to the level of our systems. Yes. And I I think about that all the time, like what do my systems look like and how do they set me up to feel really healthy and, Mm. and really strong mentally and physically and so, yeah, you know, that's me going on a rant there. <laughs> no, like I love it. Yeah. health for me is more important than ever. That's awesome. And on the topic of health, right, and I've said this in the intro, but I originally listened to you and your story on the Dylan Friends episode that you did, which was absolutely awesome. So if anyone hasn't gone and had a listen to that, I'm pretty sure most people would have by now. <laughs> but go listen to that because I was I, I was saying to Dill, like I've never listened to a two-hour podcast before. I'm one of those people that if it's two hours, I'll get to like halfway, one drive of the car, and then I'll turn it off and I probably won't revisit. But I was every time I was getting in the car, I was like, all right, I need to go back and listen to this episode and finish this episode because it was awesome. So really good job on that one. But you were talking about cystic fibrosis. And when I heard you talking about that, I thought, I don't know anything about cystic fibrosis. I haven't heard anyone speak about it the way that you had before. And I'd really love to dive into that with you today and have a bit more of a chat about what cystic fibrosis is, some of the symptoms of it, some of the treatment that maybe you've gone through, and then talk a few more personal things about you. But we'll get there. Um, So firstly, can you talk to me a little bit about what cystic fibrosis is? Yeah, it's really interesting you say that you haven't heard much about it because that's such a common response that I get when Mm -hmm. I share my story on a platform or when I go and speak at an event. And I think there's a few reasons for that. So funnily enough, I believe it is still the case today that cystic fibrosis is the most common genetic illness in Australia, which to be something that so many people don't know about is really interesting, right? And 
And whilst it's the most common genetic illness, there's only around 3,600 to 4,000 people who are living in Australia with CF. Yeah. And it's, it's very different for everyone. It's one of those conditions that has what we call multiple mutations. So those mutations affect um, both the severity and also the type of um, challenges that you have with your cystic fibrosis. So I have the most common mutation. Mm-hmm. So essentially what cystic fibrosis is, it's a defective gene that's supposed to sort of transport salt and water through the cells. And I won't get too scientific because I feel like I even get lost in the science of it and I've lived with it for 27 years. (laughs) Yeah. But basically that salt and water is supposed to be transported to cells to make sure that mucus is thin and moves freely around the body. Mm -hmm. And where you don't have that salt and water, they call it the chloride channel, essentially. Mucus will get thicker and stickier and it tends to sit on the organs and impair the the function of them and also scar the organ. So Mm -hmm. when you think of mucus, you commonly think of like the lungs or um, sort of the nasal passages. We always think quite respiratory focus when we think about mucus, but it actually moves through all the organs in the body. So, for example, for someone like myself, I have pancreatic insufficiency because of my cystic fibrosis, which is common with all mutations, I believe, bar maybe one of CF where my pancreas doesn't produce digestive enzymes to to absorb the nutrients like fat and protein from our food. Also, my pancreas has real troubles reacting and releasing insulin at the right times to counteract blood sugar yeah, okay. and spikes in the body. So we find that for someone like myself and for some other people with CF, also needing you know digestive enzymes but also insulin and, and diabetic control is a big part of the condition too. But then also liver disease and, and something where the liver tends to get quite impaired and scarred due to the amount of mucus that's trying to pass through and because of all that scarring, and all of the built-up stress inside of the liver. Um, it gets larger mm-hmm. and it tends to sort of like make it a little bit more difficult for that organ to function. So there's so many things that happen within the body within cystic fibrosis. It, it is something that you're born with. Yeah. So, you know, people always say, can I catch it? Or like, what happens if you're really sick? Do I catch it? No, that's not how it works. Yeah. Something you're born with and it's something that in majority of cases will be detected at three weeks of age when they do the Guthrie's test. Oh, wow. Yeah, so really Yeah, so when they, when they do the heel prick test, it's one of the, the common conditions they test for. Mm-hmm. And we find that not so much these days, but back, you know, like decades ago, some cases went undetected because they didn't have the technology and they didn't have the medical understanding to diagnose cystic fibrosis. Yeah. It might have got passed as a bad case of asthma because the patient was struggling to breathe or issues with the gut, you know. These were the sort of things that people maybe put it down to, but cystic fibrosis in, in majority of cases is detected very early. And for me, it was detected at three weeks through that testing. You know, it's funny, it's it's a condition that is so, for so many people, it, it has seemed to be for the longest time so almost visual mm. because patients with cystic fibrosis, you know, due to the fact that their pancreas didn't produce digestive enzymes, they really struggle to grow and to, you know, develop the the muscle mass and the height and the weight that, you know, the normal human body would yeah. throughout puberty and, and your, your younger years. And so a lot of people with CF tend to be smaller and a little skinnier and really struggled with their growth. And because of that and looking quite sick and being quite sick a lot of the time, it was quite a visual condition for a long Mm. period of time. I never really experienced that side of it because 
I was very lucky that I had two parents who were super vigilant and done everything they could to keep me ahead of my growth schedule and to keep nutrients pumping into me and keep my body well. Yeah. And so it was like, for me, my first 18 years with CF was very different to most people's first 18 years. Like I had the most incredible health foundation and part of that is, you know, a little bit of luck that I was born without any major complications. Yeah. That I was born with a condition and there was stuff to do to make sure that I kept on top of it. But I wasn't born, you know, having taken a few backward steps already. Mm. And so I feel like I was able to establish a really good foundation of health in the first 18 years of my life that have been really fruitful. Yeah. At the moment in Australia, I believe it's around 40 years is the life expectancy for people with CF. And and I know that over the course of the next decade, we're going to see that change dramatically with some really positive and impactful drugs that have hit the market. But, you know, it's, it's definitely still a really challenging condition for a lot of people. And I'm really grateful that I've been able to do everything I have done with it and stay as healthy as I am now. Yeah. Jeez. Amazing. God, there is, there is so much there. Firstly, like with your, the digestive enzymes and the nutrient based part of that, do you still currently have to take something before you eat? Yeah. So if I eat, say I have a bunch of fruit, yep. I don't have to take anything. It's all carbohydrates and you know, most carbohydrates are digested through saliva, mm. what we secrete in the saliva. If I eat anything with protein or fat content, I have to take digestive enzymes. And for majority of my life, I've taken around 30 of those a day. Yeah, wow. Because I'm a big eater, so <laughs> I like to pack in my food. So yeah. I take a lot of tablets and, and that's the case for most people with CF. Yeah. And it's just one of those things that you have to be really mindful of. I guess there's there's metrics around how you're supposed to measure that. Like, you know, if you take a – the tablets are called Creon, the mm. digestive enzymes, and they come in different dosages. And so for a long time I took what was Creon 10,000, so those 10,000 units of – digestive enzyme in one tablet yeah, and that would allow you to digest six grams of fat, right? Or around similar protein. Yeah. Wow. And so you would have to get quite calculated with it. Yeah. And so I got really good at sort of reading almost not even reading nutritional labels, but being able to look at a meal and go, that's got about 18 grams of fat and 20 grams of protein. And I need this many tablets. And I got so dialed in with that. And now I take a higher dosage, so I have to take less volume of tablets and it's basically three and a half times stronger than that original tablet I took. So I can consume 21 grams of fat per tablet I take. But it is very much, I don't think you ever hit it on the money. Mm. Like it's always a little bit here or there. And a lot of people with CF really struggle with their gut health. Yeah. They, you know, they find they, they bloat really easy or, you know, maybe they don't, they just don't ever feel really great in their stomach and and I would say that I I bloat relatively easy and I'm not the best when it comes to recovering from a big meal like I, for me like a big um, like if I had a big greasy meal mm. I almost feel like I've got a hangover from that the next day like a real gut hangover like where I feel really slow and sluggish and, yes. and quite full still but somehow I keep packing in food and I keep moving <laughs> forward so I find a way yeah well I mean at least there's not like it's not as restricted maybe I like as soon as you talked about the nutrient side of things I thought oh my god like what what can you eat but I guess it's good that you can still eat most things. Is there anything you can't eat? 
Weirdly, I'm allergic to onion. Like I just oh. like react so bad to onion. Wow, which is that is so mean. annoying because onions in everything. Everything, yes. But that's not a CF thing. That's just my. That's just you. Weird family genetics <laughs> testing yep. me anytime I want to go out and eat a meal. But I feel like it's it's funny because you know you think about the quality of food we eat and how much of an impact that has on our health. Mm. Growing up with CF, because most kids with CF were underweight and growing at a, a lower rate in which most kids their age would, it was encouraged that you should eat a lot of food, yeah. right? And so most people with CF got used to consuming a lot of junk food. And even me as a kid, I used to eat lots of chips and lots of chockies. And as a kid, that's great, right? Yeah. Like you love every <laughs> bit of it. And I ate plenty of healthy meals and plenty of fruit and veggies and healthy food still, but you just had to put your snacks on top of that mm. to consume calories. But I found that what it did was it had really adverse effects on things like the diabetic control, like the blood sugar control, when that become a real significant issue for me with my CF. It also, as I started to get older, had really negative effect on my health. And I found that I was actually probably a little bit more overweight than I would have liked to have been or I should have been for how much activity I was doing. Yeah. And I had some bad eating habits. And and it's funny, like I look back on a lot of the literature that was delivered to patients with CF, you know, even just 10 years ago. Mm. And it feels so outdated. Yeah. Like there was never really any conversation around healthy fats and the importance of getting healthy fats as opposed to just going to Macca's and eating a really like unhealthy, greasy meal or just packing in heaps of sugar for the sake of getting in calories as opposed to getting in really good quality food. And on a caloric level, you could say, well, you know, a calorie is a calorie and when you're struggling to put on weight, you need anything. But I think it has such negative effects on our health overall. Mm. And so I had to really educate up myself around that. And there's just not a lot of education on that in the CF world, which is a real shame. And I, I want to see some changes in that. Yeah. Because I think it's, it's hard. I often speak to patients with CF who will message me and say, how do you run as much as you do? Or how do you, you know, stay as active as you are? Don't you feel sluggish and tired and and granted, I've been able to have that great foundation of health that allows me to do maybe a little more than, than some can, you know, mm. understandably, because CF can be so challenging for so many. Mm. But I also eat pretty bloody well. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, I love a bit of chalky as much as the next person. But, like, my, my main meals every day are super healthy. I eat heaps of fruit, heaps of veggies. I hydrate really well. Like, I'm, I'm very considerate around what I put into my body and how it's going to impact my ability to, to move and function. And so I just I want to start to educate a little bit more in that CF space on the importance of that, the yeah. importance of quality nutrients as opposed to just calories. Well, I think that's really important on any level, isn't it? And that is, like you said, just that le- level of education that a lot of people don't have. That's having, you know, we talk about health literacy and that's just all about obviously understanding your health and having that autonomy over yourself and your body and knowing how you work as an individual because, as you say, we're all different, right? For sure. And it's not going to work the same for everyone. And then you throw in the mix of things like cystic fibrosis and then there's a whole nother layer added to that and it just keeps kind of snowballing and going from there. I think that's awesome. And I think that is something that you, I think you're in such an awesome position now to be not only an advocate for cystic fibrosis and and coming on here and, you know, alerting people to the condition and what it is and why, you know, how it's 
it impacts you every day. But then also to pass on messages like you just talked about. I think that's, yeah, really, really powerful. This might seem like a random question, but when you were talking about the health impact it has on your liver, are you able to drink alcohol? No, I can't. Yeah. So I was diagnosed with liver disease at nine. So yeah, wow. I remember being nine years of age going up for like I used to do like an annual checkup, which I still do every year, just a little bit different these days. Yeah. Where I'd go up every year around my birthday in April and I'd do all the tests just to check where everything was at. So I always had a clinic every eight weeks as a kid where I'd go and see my main doctors and you know, they'd listen to my lungs, they'd feel my tummy to see how my liver felt and how my spleen felt and they'd just do all the regular checks like weight and height to track my growth and I remember being nine and I'd just done this annual review and um, annual review is always like a chest X-ray or a, it used to be like X-ray one year, CT scan the next. Yeah. They do a liver ultrasound, stomach ultrasound every year. They would test all my blood and I remember being nine and, and being a really passionate footy player. Like I loved footy as a kid and it was my main, usually my main source of activity. Yeah. And my dream growing up, which I don't know how many of your listeners are Melbourne based, so they may not know that um, the great Brad Fittler was my idol as a child and I wanted to be basically the next version of Brad Fittler and play <laughs> rugby league for a living as a kid. That was my dream. Yeah, cool. And so I love my footy and I remember going up to uh, my, my annual review that year and sitting in the doctor's surgery after they had the results back and he said, um, so Brad, you know, had a little bit of a change in your health and you've actually got liver disease. And I remember just being so positive and so like I was always so mentally resilient mm. as a kid and even now with my health that I remember just going, oh, that's okay. What do we have to do? And he's like, well, we have to take a, a few extra tablets every day than we used to before to control your liver. Um, and he said, so your liver's actually gotten a little bit bigger than it should be and it hangs below your rib cage yeah. and it's starting to struggle a little bit more in terms of its function. So the tablets are going to help that. But unfortunately, what we can't help is the size of the liver and the fact that it's grown and now it's not fully protected by your ribs. So we're going to suggest, and I know you're not going to like to hear it, Brad, that you might have to quit playing footy. Aww. And I remember just being like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, I don't feel okay about this anymore. Yeah, you're doing gutted. It, it crushed me because yeah. that was the one thing I loved and cystic fibrosis hadn't really stopped me doing anything that I loved at a young age. And to hear that was crushing. And I remember, I remember like hearing he said, you've got cirrhosis of the liver, which mm. is what most alcoholics would get after decades of abusing their liver with alcohol and said so, you know for a nine-year-old to have that sounds so strange but it's just one of the the causes of cystic fibrosis or one of the the symptoms I guess and and so as I heard that I remember driving home with my parents and I was so cranky yeah I, bet. I remember saying <laughs> I'm not quitting bugger it I'm still playing yeah and they were like mum was like you can't play you're gonna hurt yourself and you know being a mum as you did I think my dad really understood what he had to do and he said, well, it's up to you, mate. And he put the decision on me and then I decided to quit anyways because, you know, I didn't want it to, to be a detriment to my health forever. Yeah. But I just remember hearing that at the age of nine and, and, and not really registering the impact because, yes, I had to quit football, but I took tablets every day. My liver's actually been stable ever since and is actually the best that. it's ever been um, just as a result of, I think, just being – as health as healthy as I am now and and having looked after it with you know good nutrition and and doing the right things for so long yeah but I knew at a very young age that I'd never drink you know that was 
explained to me at a really early age. And so, you know, it's like saying to anyone, you know, I think, I think if you said to most people around our age, right, that you had to give up alcohol, there's a little bit of resistance or challenge that comes with that because it's been a social lubricant yep. for people to go out and to, to socialize and to enjoy a chat. It's been something that you just do. It's like a bit of a pastime with mates or a way to connect with people or a reason to get out of the house on a weekend. But for me, I never had it. So you don't really miss something you've never had, mm. you know, and I never really built up this expectation that I needed it or that I wanted it. I think it was blessed that socially I never struggled to have a chat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was always pretty eager to go out and chat to people and connect with mates and, and my mates being as great as they were never made me feel like I was any less or, or any less fun to hang out with or to be around because I couldn't. Yeah. And so for me, you know, it's actually probably been a real benefit in many ways, both in the financial um, area where I've saved a whole lot of money on nights yeah. out, but also in a sense that it's it's allowed me to wake up really fresh after going and enjoying some dinner or a night out with mates and, and feel like I've got heaps of energy. And, yeah. and I feel like the, the older I get, the more of my mates become interested in not drinking. Oh, I was going to say that. Like it's such a it's such a thing now. I'm even – I gave myself a challenge to only drink five days of the year this year. Yeah, wow. I think I'm, I've done – Six, but even then, it's like a lot less than I probably would normally. And so I think sure. there is this shift. And that's what I was going to say, right? Like you don't actually need it for anything, right? Like that's just an idea that everyone has and something that people cook up, I guess, maybe to make themselves feel better. And obviously, like you said, it's a social thing and people enjoy, you know, the taste of it, maybe whatever else. Um, but, yeah, I think like the way that that's probably impacted your health overall has been probably quite positive rather than, than negative, hey? Hugely. And yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting because I talk to people all the time who express interest of not drinking mm. and I always ask why they drink now. Like, you know, what, what is it about a drink that you enjoy now? And I get that some people just like it for like a bit of a treat. The same way that not eating chocolate ever again would probably benefit me, but I love a bit of chocolate <laughs> yeah. every now and then, right? Or I love like a little bit of a treat yeah. every now and then so that we all have like, like our little vices that we like to enjoy and those little healthy those little healthy bits that keep life balanced, right? Because life still has to be enjoyed, like you're mm. not a robot, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I talk to people and they're like, oh, you know, I enjoy like a beer with dad if it's a birthday or I enjoy catching up with some mates every now and then I have one, but I'm, I feel like I'm drinking every weekend because I think I have to. Mm. Like I go out and I can't not have a beer even if I don't feel like it or I can't not drink even if I don't feel like it. And I'm like, of course you can. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't have to do it. If you're doing something for a reason that you feel like you don't even want to, then it's probably time to address what it's like, whether it's serving you or not, what it gives you, what it takes from you. And I feel like for most people, they feel like it's not socially acceptable to say no. Mm, a million percent. A drink. Yeah. Especially in Australia. Where our culture's built on it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Our culture is built on it. So I feel like, you now I've even got a mate who runs an alcohol company who rarely drinks. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's crazy, isn't you it? You know, so it's, it's, it's funny that I think it's starting to change a little bit. So I've never felt challenged by it. I've never felt like I had anything less to offer in a social situation because I didn't. Mm. If anything, I just feel really grateful Yeah, that I just never had the need to. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's fantastic. And, I mean, I guess, yeah, that's I, I can't imagine being nine years old 
and being given, I mean, any diagnosis, but a diagnosis of like you've got liver disease and you have to quit your sport and the, I guess the decision for you at nine, like that is just, that is huge. And it's, it's a testament to your parents as well, right? Because for your dad in particular to be like, well, you know, it, it's your health, it's your body and putting that on you at a young age to be like, this is your decision probably knowing in the back of his mind, hey, that you were going to make <laughs> the right one. The right one, yeah. yeah. but I just think... It's funny. I remember him saying to me, because I was a really keen runner at the time, too, yeah. like I loved 100 and 200 metre sprints and was quite competitive at that and used to go to a lot of carnivals for that. And I remember him saying, well, if you're not healthy, you can't do any of it. So yeah. you decide, like, do you want to risk everything for footy or would you prefer to do at least some of it? Mm. And I feel like you delivered the message really well. But I will say that I think I turned 12 at school and I went to quite a small school. Yeah. I was like a pri- little private school and we didn't have a big year. But I remember being 12 and they started a school football team. Yeah. And I remember watching all my mates walk to the line to play football. And I was like, this time I'm making the wrong decision. And yeah. I signed up for the team. Oh, you did? And I remember dad, oh, I remember no. dad going, <laughs> oh, mate, what are you doing? And I was like, I can't watch him play, Dad, and not be involved. And so Dad said, you can only play if I coach the team (laughs) and if you wear something to protect your liver. And so Dad ended up being the coach. I played for a couple of years at school. And we used to get like, you know, like a a gym mat or a yoga mat. Mm. They used to duct tape a yoga mat to my stomach so I had a level of padding around my liver. So I couldn't breathe because it was so tight. You were just, Like, I was so restricted. Could you even run? You're just, like, arms out. Like, honestly, I felt like, you know, like the, um, what is it, like the Tin Man out of... uh, Yes, um, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, yes. I felt like I was running around like that, but it it protected my liver and so I don't play these days. The the lads are far too big for me to be out there playing any sort of contact sport these days. Yeah. So um, the message sunk in as much as it needed to. <laughs> well, you know what? And you got to run. You got to do it. You got to go out 100%. there. Like that's awesome. I love that. Um, so back to, I guess, talking a little bit about maybe how you manage cystic fibrosis. What are kind of the treatment options? And I know you spoke about doing, you know, your annual checkups in the eight weeks when you were younger. What do you do now in terms of treatment and care? ongoing yeah so i see my doctors usually around so i've got a cf specialist team Mm -hmm. which is made up of a doctor who focuses on the respiratory side of things my lungs and you know the the lung function the capacity the way that they feel the way that they're responding to um, any little exacerbations like any flare-ups or or little lung infections that could come about I've got a gut specialist who focuses on particularly the liver for me and also just making sure that my gut is feeling good and responding well to my CF. I've also got a an endocrine specialist who focuses on the diabetic side of things and making sure that my blood sugars are stable. Thankfully, because my gut and my diabetes have been very stable over the course of the last 10 plus years, I only see those doctors once every six months, Yeah, usually, unless something come up where I needed them. But I see my respiratory team every three months, so usually four occasions a year. And at the moment, that's a lot of online and, and sometimes it's a face-to-face, like my next visits will be, just to get up there and see them and allow them to listen to my lungs and and have a more in-depth conversation with me. That's kind of the care side of things, but on a day-to-day level, it's, you know, 30, 
around 30 tablets a day. It was 50 tablets a day over the course of the last many years, but with some, you know, more smart dosing and some tablets that I don't need anymore, we've been able to get that down a little bit, which is great. It's daily nebulizers. So I've got a solution that I breathe in on a nebulizer for 20 minutes every night, which is basically helping the mucus in the lungs stay quite thin and move around a little more freely. And then also just focusing on moving my body every day. So the thing that's had the biggest impact on my life and my health with CF is being quite physical. Like I'm, I'm an avid runner. I love my running. I try to get in the gym a couple of times a week if I can and just keep my strength. And I think strength's really important and probably a little bit underappreciated from a cystic fibrosis standpoint. You know, having strength through the core and, and the body in a way in which you can control the lungs and get depth of air. And, and you know, you want to keep your body consistently moving for as long as possible mm-hmm. so that you are active and you are clearing your lungs. I feel like a lot of people with CF were in the early years coddled a little bit in the sense that, oh, they were too sick to exercise or, you know, we don't want to stress them too much. And that's just completely the wrong approach. Like the right doctors always said to my parents, get him as active as possible yeah. because it will help his lungs stay clear. It's like that. If you, you know, don't, if you don't use it, you lose it sort of thing. A hundred percent, 100 percent. And I was just so blessed that I loved activity as a kid. Mm. So like I love sport and, and I've always loved training in some sort of way. I had my, my lazier years between like 18 and, and 23 where I didn't do a whole lot and I, I definitely felt it. Yeah. Like my health really was on a decline because of it. But now it's just making sure I do those things every day and, you know, really look after myself. For example, you might be able to hear it a little bit in my voice now, but I've had the man flu for the last week. <laughs> yeah. And it's it flogged me a little bit and my yeah. lungs have been like really heavy the last couple of days. There's some like heavy stuff sitting on my lungs and I've noticed my energy's been a little bit lower and it's a little bit harder for me to run. And Do you have to take extra precaution during stages like that? A, li- a little bit, yeah. And more so just being really mindful around my treatment and, and mm-hmm. maybe doing a little bit more extra nebulizer or, or lung physio work to try and clear that. Yeah. But I felt so flogged the first like five days of it. I did nothing, which is so out of the ordinary for me. Like mm-hmm. normally even if I'm a little sick, I want to do something. But then I got back, I had a run yesterday and I felt better for it. Um, I'm going to do a bit of sauna and a bit of gym later today and I'll run again tomorrow, run Saturday. So I'll be pretty active again back into this week and hope I kick it clear. But it's definitely for me, it's just those daily things every day that keep me pretty tip top. And probably the biggest thing that's a a part of my routine now and my care is a drug called Trikafta. Okay. So Trikafta was PBS listed just around a year and a bit ago now. So it was oh, very for me recent. Is, what was that, sorry? Very recent. Very recent. Yeah. So it was for a couple of years approved and um, listed on the benefit schemes over in the US and the UK. So patients were able to access it and we've seen really influential results. So what Trikafter is, uh, it's, it's called CAF-TRIO in the UK. So it's got two names, mm-hmm. but essentially it's what we call a CF modulator drug. So it somewhat helps the defective gene do its job more efficiently. Okay. And so it's actually starting to correct that defective gene wow. and help it do some of its job. So we've seen, uh, I guess, as significant as potentially 10 to 40% increase in patient lung function after Huge. use of this drug which is huge. I had about 10% increase in the space of three days, which is wild. Wow. 
all the mucus off my lungs, which I'd had heavy green mucus on my lungs that I used to cough up every day for 13 years. Yeah. And all of it within like three days had cleared. Jeez. So I just don't get mucus anymore. Yeah. Like I might get a tiny bit here and there, which is pretty normal, but not anymore. I found that my weight, like my, a lot of patients have struggled because it's actually allowed them to start consuming a pretty normal amount of food every day and they don't need the extra calories because their body's absorbing it better. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people struggled with, oh, now I have to learn how to eat like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. um, for me, it was more so I always kind of had to eat like a normal person. I'm more on the side of having to be cautious with my food than having to overeat. And I found that I just put on a couple of kilos of muscle over the course of six months and awesome. felt stronger and fitter than ever. And, and just like a whole... You know, for me, a whole weight of stress off my back where for a couple of years from like 2020 through to 2022, Mm. I was pretty consistently bleeding in my lungs, which was causing me some real challenges and some real hurdles. And and as soon as I started taking this drug, I haven't bled in the lungs again. Wow. So it's been super impactful. And unfortunately, it only helps 50% of the CF population who have the same um, genetic mutation as I do. Mm. And also, you know, it's been a real fight for us to get it in um, the younger patients, PBS listed. So the drug was $220,000 a year Australian for patients wow. to take before it was PBS listed. So it was just not accessible at all. Yeah. When it was PBS listed, it was listed for patients aged 12 and over mm. who had um, this specific mutation of the gene. And so we recently just fought and done a lot of campaigning and um, a lot of charity stuff. And I, I spoke at a few events and um, alongside another CF patient, Jess, who's been incredible, Jess Ragusa, in sort of championing this, this drug as well. And she's had a like a life-changing effect on it, which is really cool. Wow. And we both spoke down at Parliament House and, and CF Australia, the governing body, done some really good work. And we got it approved for the 6 to 12-year-olds. Yeah. And so they've had a massive impact on it now. We're just trying to get it for that younger next step now, which will hopefully just help patients with CF everywhere breathe a little easier and, you know, then developing the the next developments of that drug so that people who have not the the most common genetic mutation, but those other ones, those more rare ones, can Mm. also have access to a drug like Trikafter that changes their health on on a whole nother level. Oh my God. I cannot believe that. That is absolutely incredible. And how awesome and inspirational of you and, of course, this other person, Jess, did you say? Yeah. Yeah, to to be real advocates for that and, you know, you've had the opportunity to take it and seen firsthand the effects that it's had for you and now fighting for, for other people to have the same. I think that's amazing and how, I mean, I'm so happy to hear that that's been an option for you now and, and as you said at the start, you know, hopefully that just gets better and better and better and better as the years go on and as medical advancements happen and, and you know, you can get funding and and find more answers and, and more, I guess, drugs and treatment options for you that can help with it all. It's, it's really exciting and it, it's crazy. I think we're heading into a space in the next 10 years where we're – and I don't like to get people too excited about this because I think – I was always of the of the really firm belief that I was going to act as though there was never going to be a cure or a mm. life-changing drug for CF and that I had to earn every bit of good health that I got because it kept me really vigilant and meant I didn't get complacent with it. And I have been complacent, don't get me wrong, at times throughout my life where I've, I've taken it for granted. 
but I've made a really clear decision that around 24 that I was going to do everything I could to be super healthy. Yeah. And, you know, these drugs are just bonuses. But I think that in the next 10 years, we're going to be very close to a cure. Yeah. Like we're going to be very close to some very life-changing long-term treatment for patients with CF that make it a very little stress if, if you have cystic fibrosis and, and have to live day-to-day life with it. So I think we're in a very exciting territory mm. and it's it's just really cool to see what one drug can do to change the outcomes and the daily life of patients with CF and and just for me to be able to go to bed without stressing about, you know, having bleeding lungs that night. Yeah. And like it's such a weight off your shoulders mentally. Yeah. So I, it's been huge. I was going to say the mental impact that would have as well, knowing that there is something that's, you know, helping you and, yeah, having that, that idea of I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and and feel maybe the way that I felt when you said you were 20 to 22, you had a bit of a, a health struggle there. Like that would, sure. I can't even imagine how, you know, that must have felt taking the drug for the first time and then going back and, and hearing three days later that you've got an extra 10%, um, you Crazy. know, on top of your, your lung capacity. Is that like how... So it's it's more so they test with CF. One of the things they test, I probably should have mentioned this during like the um the treatment part, but one of the things we test every time we do a clinic is the lung function and capacity. So it's basically you use a machine and you just take some normal breaths and then you'll take a really deep breath in and breathe out all your air as fast as you can. And what they test is they test how much air you get into the lungs which for me is around five litres, a little over five litres of capacity. And then they test how much of that you can get out in the first second. Now, how much mm-hmm. of you can, get, you can get out in the first second is a really good test on how functional the lungs are and how healthy they are. You should be able to empty pretty much all of that air yeah. pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so they test that as well. And so it's definitely um, – it's definitely been a major increase in improvement. And even like I said, I had a clinic appointment this last week and being quite unwell with the flu and, and quite knocked about, you know, just to see my numbers stable and in a really good place, even when I was feeling really average, is, just yeah. gives you all the confidence. And I think for a lot of patients, it's allowed them to plan for the future. Yeah. Like I know Jess, you know, Jess, who I spoke about before, you know, has been able to, to go on and get pregnant and now she has a little one and oh, her little one's just over six months old and her and a partner are planning their future. And, like, that's so exciting for people who thought that maybe they'd never get that opportunity but wanted it. Mm. And so, it's yeah, it's a very exciting time for CF patients across the world. And, you know, I think we always look from Australia, we look ahead at what's happening in the US and the UK and, and we experience it at a little bit of a delay. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, what's happening in this space at the minute, we've got some exciting years ahead. Yeah, that is incredible. I'm that's so beautiful. And I I, I heard you talking about this on Dill's podcast about, you know, a bit of the mental side of things. And even at the start of this episode when you just, you know, you just mentioned the life expectancy at the moment is forty, right? And that is just like I don't how do you grapple with that in your day to day life? Do you is that something that has ever you've ever had to sit down and be like, geez, that's that's really real? Yeah, you know, I, I think growing up, the, the most incredible thing that I was gifted with was just two amazing parents. Yeah. And so I was born into the most beautiful family. And so my dad, Darren, and my mum, Diane, were just so positive. And, you know, I remember they told me this story consistently and we talk about it a lot, but 
you know, and I really didn't know this until a couple of years ago. They sort of kept this from me for a long time. But when I was born, they had so many plans and hopes and dreams for my future. I was their first child and they'd done everything they could to bring me into a really healthy, safe and nurtured environment where opportunities were going to be there for me and, you know, I was going to be looked after and cared for and, and so to hear that I had CF was a major shock to them and they had to really educate up in the first couple of months of my life on what this meant, what that looked like for two parents of a child with CF. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine that at the time, without many of the drugs that we have now, it was very negative. Yeah. Like most patients didn't survive their, their childhood years and CF was actually referred to as the childhood's disease. Yeah, for wow. a long time because most people didn't survive into their, their adult years. How terrifying for your parents. So terrifying, yeah. right? And so my first ever specialist appointment just a couple months into my life, they were sitting there in front of a doctor who they were just meeting for the first time and he was going to provide them with a plan and tell them what the pathway looked like for my future. And the first words he spoke to them were, your son would be better off with a terminal illness that would kill him or he'd get over because this will ruin his life. Wow. And so for them to hear those words, I can imagine would have been crushing. But it's been so impactful and so profound to be how they responded to that because they stood up, they looked him straight in the eye and said, you'll never see us or Brad again. And they walked out of the room and they went and found a doctor who shared just a far more positive view and had a really positive perspective on what could be done to control CF, what could be done to set up and prepare for my future. And that's what they were looking for. They were looking to take a really positive perspective on all of this and say, we don't believe this will limit or define his life and we're going to do everything in our power, as will he when it comes his time to make sure that his life is limitless. And so they just taught me this incredible lesson that what you believe is what you become. Yeah. You know, and, and I remember growing up and, and knowing that I had cystic fibrosis, but never feeling any less for it. Like Mm. I had a little sister, Shania, we call her sissy. She's two and a half years younger than I am. And we're still amazing friends to this day. Like we speak every day. We're just super close. And I just remember growing up and, and she just wanted to be like me. She wanted to take tablets too. So she used to have a little strawberry and orange vitamins every day and yeah, and like and want to be like me. And I just remember thinking, why would I feel any less mm. having cystic fibrosis? Like this is such a badge of, badge of honour because I'm not supposed to do all the things I do, but I do them anyways and I feel fit and I feel strong and um, faster than most people my age and I'm stronger than most people my age. So why would I believe that this is going to stop me from doing anything. And so I just had the most positive perspective on it. And that just carried with me my whole life. And I think, you know, for me, as I got older and understood what this meant for many people who live with it and were challenged by it, I was never super involved in the CF community, which my parents made a conscious effort to keep me clear of that because they didn't want me to see the bad side of it. They wanted me to be positive and to shoot for the stars. Yeah. And because of that, you know, I was just a really normal kid who had hopes, dreams, aspirations and goals for the future that I never felt like I was incapable of or I never felt like I couldn't have those things because I had CF. It wasn't really until I was 18 that I started to have health challenges and I had my first bleed in the lungs and spent my first extended stay in hospital and was challenged. But even in the face of all of that, whilst it was tough and it was challenging, I just felt so resilient and positive. 
And I just put it down to that messaging that they taught me and, you know, the impression that they had on me in my early years that, yeah, this is going to be tough. And, and life is tough for so many people. But there's so many that have it harder. Like mm-hmm. I'd met kids in hospital who had cancer and, and were fighting for their life. I'd seen people pass because, you know, they had CF so extreme that, you know, they couldn't breathe and, you know, they couldn't walk and they couldn't do those things that I was able to do easily every day. So how on earth would I would I sit there and be a victim? Like how on earth would I think that this is so destroying and crushing that I'm not going to go and make the most of life? I just made a decision that I, would, I was never going to be like that because so I almost I, I explain it like a game of poker, right? Yeah. Like you can sit down at the table, you put your chips forward, you buy into the game, and that's what we all do with life. And then you get dealt a hand and you have no control over what cards come your way. Mm. The only control you have is what you believe you can do with those cards, the way you choose to see it, and then how you act. And for me, I chose to grab those cards, push all my chips into the middle of the table and say, I'm all in Mm. and I'm not going anywhere and let's see what happens. And so that's just been the way I always have been. And, you know, I believe that I'll I'll be a centurion. Like I'm so stubborn and I love life and I want to be here till 100. (laughs) I love that. And I have a partner who I love and adore and want to spend many, many years with and I want to have kids and I want to see them grow up and have their own kids. So for me, there's no reason to believe that I won't be here forever. Mm. And I also have a very firm belief, which everyone should, that life expectancy is a myth because no one's promised any time on this earth, no matter whether you have a health condition or not. So every day, wake up and be very grateful for the fact that you have air in your lungs and a heartbeat. And if you get the same thing tomorrow, be grateful all over again. Because someday you may not have, and there's no point in dwelling around what may be limited and what may not be because... It's the same for all of us. That is, I honestly, I'm like, I'm getting bloody emotional. Jeez, that is incredible. You are dead set the most inspirational person I think I've ever spoken to in my life. I love that answer. I think that anyone anywhere can take so much from what you just said and how just how inspiring and that mindset of, yeah, the, the cards that you've been dealt maybe aren't, aren't the best you push forward you keep going you do all the things anyway and you prove that bloody doctor wrong that said those horrible things to your your parents and you keep sticking it to them and oh I just I'm bloody speechless after that that was incredible thank you so much for sharing you're too kind and and I have to say that like we and and it's so true when people compare challenges right like people say oh you know I don't have CF, so I, I can't win. Just let me, we've all got our own stuff. Like, you know what I mean? I've met people who have cancer, who have really tough challenges. I've got a mate, Brett Canellan, who is also on Dylan Friends, survived a bloody bull shark attack. Like, bloody what a hell. tough rooster. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but we can't, we always say you can't compare challenges because everyone lives in their own challenges. They're living their own experience, and that's challenging for you. And mm. like, and you deserve credit. For, for getting up every day and going after life. But when, you, when you're in it, it's hard to see, but life's bloody amazing. Like mm. life is really worth living in. And no matter what you face, it's worth fighting for, you know? And like the other option is you don't fight and then you're not here and you don't get to enjoy this beautiful life that we get to live. And, and I'm such an advocate for like for fighting for that right to live every day. Yeah. And we're going to go through tough periods 
it's like it's coming for all of us, some sort of challenge, whether it be, you know, mental challenges, which we know mental health challenges are at an all-time high. We know that financially during the next couple of years there may be some challenges with the economic crisis and, and that's going to affect all of us. And, and there's so many challenges every day that we all face and, and we all have our own little ones along the way. And I believe that if you develop that resilience and, and have the the power of really positive perspective behind you and choose to just show up and give what you've got every day, like you can overcome it. Yeah. You can. And it doesn't mean it won't be tough and it doesn't mean that there's days where you don't feel like giving up or you feel like giving up and you just don't want to get up and go again. But you've, you've always got that little bit more fight in you than you recognise and and I've experienced that over my years and yeah. and I've learned from other people who have been in that fight themselves. And so, you know, I just think life is most certainly worth fighting for and, and people should remember that, you know. Yeah, a million percent. And I, I especially love that part where you talked about life expectancy and that being a myth because it's so true. You actually don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or in the next hour and no one can predict that. And like you said, it doesn't matter if you've got a life threatening illness or an injury or whatever else it is you gotta keep fighting you gotta keep going you gotta live every day i yeah wow i'm bloody inspired i tell you what one thing i want to talk to you about a little bit more was your running right i had just i've been training for a marathon for a little while i was in a bit of a lull I listened to the Dylan Friends episode with you and then I went, oh my God, I'm bloody getting out. That week I woke up every day at 5am and ran and I was like, that was you. I'm just letting you know that was you. That was your words that did that. Um, how has that, I mean, you've, you've touched on it a little bit already, but how has running been an outlet for you and been something that's been really positive for you? It's so funny, Mon, because I hated long distance running my yeah. whole life. <laughs> like I remember being young and just dreading cross country and, and I was such a, a short distance runner, like love my one hundreds and two hundreds and even for me, four hundred meters, I was like, Oh bloody long distance. <laughs> bit far. Like, you know, a bit far for me. And you know, I remember doing a little bit of running here or there over the course of the years, but really I was at a point where I left my job in 2020 and was starting to make a real conscious effort after being complacent the last few years and getting into a bad spot with my lungs Yeah. and, and my CF that I was like, I need to consciously make an effort to get my health back to a really consistent foundation. And I started with a bit of walking and then started with a bit of swimming. And this was through the first COVID lockdown. So I was doing a little bit and just making some efforts to improve and be consistent every day. And it, it really was a case of small steps. And then I had a, a mate who I just knew from around town who said, Hey, you should, you know, you're an early riser. You should come down on Sunday morning. We've got this run club. It was called active boys run club at the time. It's now called never lazy run club. Love that. It's become like not just guys, but girls and people from all walks of life. And he said, we meet on a Sunday morning at 6am. We go for a 5k run. We have a coffee and a swim after. And I remember thinking, like, I live in Wollongong on the beach and it's such a beautiful spot to run. But I remember thinking, who wants to run 5Ks? Like, seriously. Yeah, why like, would you do that? Sounds disgusting. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't think of anything worse to do. Yeah. And, but I do remember thinking, oh, you know, during these times, that coffee and that swim after would be a really nice social connection. Yeah. And so I decided to, to book myself in. And you didn't need to book yourself in, but I said, I'll be there because I wanted to be accountable. Mm. And I remember saying to one of my good mates, do you want to come with me? And he's like, yeah, sweet. And so it was the Thursday before the Sunday. 
And I thought, God, I haven't run for seven years. Yeah. Like maybe I ought to go out and just test myself and see if I can do a couple of Ks. Mm. And so it was one afternoon and I pulled up at the beach and I got my shoes on and I started running. And I remember getting to 800 metres and going, bugger this, this feels shit. (laughs) I'm taking my shoes off. I threw them in the back of the car and I went for a dip in the water. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I have no idea how on earth I'm going to run 5Ks on Sunday. But I rocked up and I struggled my way through, let me tell you, but I got it done. And I really enjoyed the social connection afterwards. And then I rocked up the following week and got it done again and, you know, struggled all the same. And then the third week I rocked up to two of their groups. So I rocked up on a Sunday and on a Wednesday. And I was so sore after the second run that I could barely move for a couple of days. But I found myself there again on the fourth Sunday. And on the fourth Sunday, I felt a little bit fitter than I had the weeks before and I felt all the more up for it, but I felt a little bit weird in my lungs where I felt almost like a looseness to my lungs as though there was liquid moving around and that's probably the only way that I can explain it. That just felt like there was something there. And it was afterwards, you know, I was having a coffee and sitting down relaxing and I just coughed and I could taste this too familiar taste in my mouth of blood. Mm. And I'd bled in the lungs once before when I was 18 And I remember just thinking, oh, that's not good. Like, that's blood. And I didn't want to make a scene in front of my mates. So I just said, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. And I went over to the public toilets and I coughed up blood in the sink. And I was coughing up blood for about five minutes. And I thought, okay, I need to do something to stop this. And I went home and tried to rest a bit and ended up in the emergency room that night. Wow. And they ended up clearing me to go home and said that my lungs had stabilised and then I found myself back there the next two nights with the same thing and just having the most severe case on the Wednesday, that third night, or the Tuesday, I think it was. And I remember sitting in emergency waiting for some tests. You know, they're like, okay, you've coughed up a lot of blood the last three days. We want to check to see how much blood you've lost, whether you need a blood transfusion, whether there's anything else we need to do or anything we need to patch up. So we're going to do a bunch of scans and bloods. And as anyone knows, if you've been in an emergency room and you're getting tests done, you wait a bloody lifetime to get them back because it's so busy. Yeah. And so it was about 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm sitting there. I've got my dad beside my bed. And we were just sitting there and we're actually laughing and reminiscing at a photo of him that popped up on my phone in my memories. And the photo was actually of him 22 years prior. So I was 24 at the time. And he'd run a a charity event for cystic fibrosis when I was two years of age. And him, my Uncle Terry, and a couple of marathon runners had run 68Ks three days in a row. Wow. So 212Ks in three days, which is huge. And he wasn't a – he was a a casual runner and a footy player, same as my uncle. They weren't long-distance runners and they were quite big dudes because they were footy boys. And just like an incredible effort, right? And I remember looking at the photo and – Dad had these really short footy shorts on and, you know, absolutely terrible haircut. And he was holding a can of twoies running across oh the God. finish line. How good is that? And we were laughing at the photo. And and I said to Daddy, he asked me, like, how I felt about everything that was happening. And I said, you know what? It's obviously not ideal that I'm in hospital here and my lungs are bleeding, but I feel really positive about it. Like, I'm starting to love running. I feel like I'm starting to make a really conscious effort to get my health back and to get back in a good place with it. And I said, and I feel like it's my turn, not just to do something for me to recover for myself, but rather to show people that nothing's impossible. Like I'm in this position right now. Let me do something to show people that, you know, even when you've got bleeding lungs and you're in a hospital bed, you can come back and do incredible things. 
it was July at the time, and I said, you know, by the end of this year, I'm going to run a marathon and prove that nothing's impossible for people with CF. Yeah. And he just said to me, you know what, mate, if you want to do it, you'll make it happen. Mm. And so I went out and I set the intention and I started really getting conscious about how am I going to train to run a marathon because I'm struggling over 5Ks at the moment. I've got 20 weeks and I need to run 42.2. And so I was like, I'm going to need some help. I remember reaching out to a guy named Ben Seymour who had been a guest on my podcast at the time, former rugby player turned endurance athlete. And I reached out to Benny and I said, here's my plan. Here's where I'm at. I was 88 kilos at the time, so I wouldn't say I was like the regular runner's frame or long-distance runner's frame. Yeah. It was a bit of a real estate dad rig I had going on at the time. (laughs) And I remember saying to him, like, what do I have to do? Can I pay you to write me a program and a plan to get into the gym and to run? And he just said, mate, I love the cause. The cause has actually been close to my heart. He had an old teammate and old captain of one of his professional rugby teams who had CF, which is incredible in itself. And he said, I not only want to train you for free, but I want to come and run it with you. And oh, so cool. Benny was my was basically my PT, my coach throughout the course of the whole prep. He every day would tell me what to do, how hard to train, how far to run, what exercises to do in the gym. He'd send me like the list for my week and check in with me every day. And so we started to set some real intentions around it. And I decided that I wanted to do the event down here in Wollongong to create a group of mates that did it with me and also raise some money. So we called it 42 for CF. Yeah. And I think what I discovered in that process, right, was I'd gone from really struggling to run 5Ks to by the time I was six weeks into prep, I could run 25. Yeah, wow. And I just remember sitting down and going, far out. Like I've never run this far in my life. I've never run this much on a weekly level in my life. How did I go from here, like where I was struggling to run 5Ks just six weeks ago, to now I can run 25K? And I just had this realization that purpose fuels progress. You know, and I think in life we often set ourselves really really big challenges or goals, but we don't exactly know why. Mm. And I don't think you always have to have a reason to. Like sometimes it's just because or, or why not. But I think for me to really get myself from a place of being in the worst physical shape of my life, you know, and in the worst place my CF had ever been, to being able to run 25Ks and feel really good about it, I had to have a real purpose. And that purpose was like, I'm running not just for me, not just to look better in the mirror, not just to lose a bit of weight or just to start moving for the sake of, but rather like I'm running to uplift and inspire other people with CF and so that they know this is possible for them too. Yeah. And so I just found I had the most dramatic change and shift in my whole health. And I started to really fall in love with what running was giving me as opposed to the action itself. And then I think when you start to feel that, when you start to feel the gift that it's giving you, the freedom of more air in the lungs and autonomy over the, over the body and like it's starting to give me my health back and a new lease on life, I just fell in love with just the, the simple process of putting one foot in front of the other and and doing it in some beautiful locations around Wollongong. And, you know, so really over the course of that 20 weeks, I developed a real passion and love for running. And I got to a point where, you know, a month out, I was very fit. I'd run 30Ks at this point and 30Ks was a real challenge for me. 
about a month out from the event, I had a really bad bleed in the lungs and ended up in hospital. I had to get the ambulance there. It's quite scary. And I remember thinking, far out, this is a really good excuse to pull out of running a marathon. (laughs) Oh, you reckon? Bloody tough. (laughs) No one's going to question me if I pull out now. Yeah. But so I remember the doctor walking into the room. His name was Dr. Samuel, and he looked at me and said, you know, Brad, what's going on, mate? We heard you had a bleed in the lungs. And I just said, mate, my lungs are bleeding. I don't know what's happening. But I'm running a marathon in four weeks and it's your job to get me to the start line. I'll do the rest. And I did. You know, I got there. I ran 42Ks on the 12th of December 2020 and it was very challenging and it required every little bit of mental resilience I built up over, you know, 24 years of living with CF and learning these lessons and facing these hard challenges. And it required every little bit of strength that I had in my physical body and I I found myself across the finish line having achieved something I was very proud of. I would say at the time it was, you know, the best day of my life up until that point because I taught myself that, you know, nobody decides or tells you what your life is going to look like. That's Mm -hmm. up to you. And, you know, that doctor had said that my life would be, you know, ruined because of CF, that I'd be better off with a terminal illness that would have killed me or I would have gotten over. And, you know, I was able to stand there at 42.2 Ks at that finish line and go, fucking look at me now. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Like this is a product of my hard work, my belief, my perspective. And so that just empowered a real, it empowered a real purpose inside of me and a real drive and desire to keep moving my body and to keep challenging myself. And now I'm at a point now where I've run three marathons and and won 50K ultra and I just love it. You know, I'm training for a marathon at the moment in Sydney in September with my partner, Soph. It'll be her first one and scarily she's getting far fitter than I am already, which is terrifying. You're going to be racing each Uh, other? We're not racing each other, but it feels like she's racing me. I'll tell you what, she's starting to scare me because she's getting very fit and very fast. And I like the idea of being the the better long long distance endurance runner. But I think she's got me covered now, so I've got to fight for my own title at home. Um, But no, I I, I love training with her and, and running with her, and it's been great for me to have a partner who... You know, every week we're on the same level. We want to be out doing a long run and, you know, we want to be moving our body and looking after ourselves and to have that inside your home, you know, in a really close relationship and the person that you love is just, for me, so motivating and such a drive. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with running. I, I still love it. Like, yeah. Let me tell you, if I could run, and I've done a little challenge at the start of the year where I ran 10K a day for seven weeks or for 48 days. Wow. And finished off with like a little bit of a bigger bigger couple of weeks. Like I've done a 90K week at the end of it where I ran two half marathons back to back at the end of the challenge and oh my and God. like ran every day, you know. I'd say that my body doesn't love the like seven day a week running. Like it likes maybe a day or two off where it gets to recoup and yeah. you know, get in the gym. But if I could run every day and feel amazing, which maybe one day I'll be there, I would because I just get so much from it. Mm. Incredible. For me, it just fills my cup so much. Yeah, I love that. And I love the idea that, you know, you've gotten, I don't know if you got Soph into it or she just decided she wanted to join in as well. But being able to do that together and have that as something that you're doing together is so cool as well. It is so cool. She's a, like, she's a a little gym junkie. She loves it. Like, loves her. um, She goes to like a, it's kind of like a functional fitness gym here where they do a bunch of classes and she'll, get in, rip into some weights and also like some real sort of high intensity interval style stuff. 
and she's so much fitter than me at the gym. <laughs> like she's got me covered gym fitness wise and also now run wise, but I got her into the running. She could run five Ks, but wasn't doing it consistently, but she's just progressed so quick. And yeah, it's cool. Cause it challenges me now. And yeah, you know, all my mates are faster than me or a lot of them. And so bloody faster than me now. So <laughs> it, um, I think the one thing I've got over them all though, is I'm just like, such a stubborn bastard that I'll just go until I drop. So yep. <laughs> I can, I can usually outlast. Yeah. You'll be like, you know what? I'm going to run a bloody double ultra. It's a hundred K's just to, yeah, just to have one up on everyone. <laughs> 100K. But that stuff definitely interests me. Like I think, yeah, wow. I don't know when I would do it, but you know, like my dad ran 212 K's in three days. And, mm. and I think about that a lot, like when it will be time for me to step up and do a challenge like that. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm definitely not interested in, like, a Ned Brockman style. Effort. I was like, like bloody him. Ned Brockman 2.0 across the street. No, he, he, he can keep that title. Yeah. I'm not interested in contesting that at all. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I love it that much, but I, I'm definitely interested in, like, what it gives me in mm. terms of the mental resilience, in terms of the peace. Like, you know, as you would understand, Mon, like, you're in this space of podcasting and, and content creation and it's it's very social and it's very full on a lot of the time. And so most of my days are spent talking to people or listening to things as I edit stuff back. And so, yeah. I, you know, I don't run with music or a podcast. I like to run with dead silence. And and I, I will say I do chat on my runs. I am a run chatter. <laughs> but, you know, I do love just being out and hearing nature and being just very present with where I'm at. Yeah. And for me, that's like, it gives me so much mentally as well as physically. So it's, you know, to, to test yourself on a couple of those maybe multi-day efforts in the future or that stuff that is, um, is a bit longer, but also even just to get quicker over, you know, half marathon, marathon distance and and just continue to refine my fitness yeah it gets me so excited i love talking about it yeah that's awesome no i love it i'm training for a marathon at the moment too oh, as i said or yeah doing the nike um but such a great event yeah awesome so i think i did the half a couple couple years ago it would have been just before covid so 2019 um same thing like always been a runner but haven't ever like I haven't ever run over 30 k's so we'll bloody see how we go but as I said I I was struggling to find the motivation and then I listened to that you know you having a chat with you and I thought geez this guy's bloody motivating and now everyone who listens to this pod's gonna know that too so if anyone else is listening and and has any kind of goal that they're trying to reach whether that's running or otherwise i reckon they're bloody getting off this and sticking to it 100 percent. i reckon it's it's funny though because i think like i struggle more i'm very disciplined now mm. like it's it's not hard for me to get out the door like i've got good discipline but I struggle more to like get motivated to go run a speed session or to do something like really intervals fast. and stuff yeah, where if you like, if you said to me, you got to go run 20 plus Ks today, I'm so chill. I'm like, yeah, I'm so excited. Mm. Like, a long, I like, I call it sexy pace. Like, I like just running <laughs> at sexy pace yeah. for a long time and just like cruising and enjoying it. So it's like, it's not hard for me to get excited about the long stuff. It's bloody tough to get me into an interval session, though. So yeah. that's probably the area that I've got to 
develop a little bit of um a little bit of extra grit and get after. Yeah, oh, it is it is hard those interval sessions, and they're the ones that any uh, any runner will tell you that you really bloody need. It's like you can do all the distance you For want, sure. but you really need that interval. No, that's amazing. That's oh, it's bloody awesome. You've uh, yeah, you've pumped me up all over again. I'm very excited to uh to get out and maybe go for on the Savo now. I reckon. Um, you did quickly mention your podcast. Can you please plug that and and tell us all what that's about? Yeah, so the podcast is called A Lot to Talk About. Awesome. It's had a couple of name evolutions, as I think most podcast ideas do yeah um over, over the stage of their life and you know it's, it's been going for three and a half years now so it's had a little healthy healthy dose of life and it's got a great foundation there it's i think by the time people hear this interview it will be likely around 200 episodes wow I'm, I'm pretty close to that amazing um, so i've been pretty consistent very consistent in the last year and a bit of releasing an episode every week and you know, over the course of sort of the first two years, it was pretty close to an app a week and, you know, at a really good place now where I've just been so blessed, Mon, to, to connect with great people, a really diverse guest list. The pod's all about really the power of storytelling and as someone who loves to hear stories, loves to engage in stories, I really like learning valuable lessons through someone else's story and the way that they share it. And so it's really about just speaking to a diverse list of guests who have their own unique experiences and those little gems that they've learned along the way and you know basically extracting those and, and making it uh, an uplifting and inspiring and enjoyable experience for the listeners who who tune in so i've you know had some some real mix of guests from athletes to um, i had a neurosurgeon charlie teo on in the last episode and yeah. you know musicians and entertainers and you know people like yourself who educate in certain areas and are, are really savvy with you know particular areas of life like health or you know like leadership or you know character development just you know from all over the shop so it's 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 like a mixed bag of lollies yeah, there may be stuff like you don't that. love, yeah. but there'll be plenty of stuff you do. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, all amazing people who, you know, have some really impressive stories to tell and messages to share. And so I love it. I get so much from it as a host. And it's, you know, it's it's selfless in the way that I get to put out conversations that are there for everyone, but it's mm-hmm. so selfish in the fact that I just get so excited for a pod and, and just yeah. always come off the back of those feeling great. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, I love that. I did have a listen to the one you did with uh, Charlie. Um, what's his Huge episode. T- T-O. Charlie T.O. Yes. So I um yeah, I'm not all the way through that one, but really, really bloody good. Make sure anyone listening, go check out that. Plug the name again. A lot to talk about. A lot so to talk all about. All platforms. Awesome. Yeah, all so platforms. go ahead to a lot to talk about. Have a squeeze, have a listen. Bloody hell, if you're uh, lacking content, maybe you're running and you do listen to podcasts. 200 episodes almost uh, on that one. So you'll have lots to, to catch up on. That's absolutely fantastic. Brad, thank you so much for coming on. I have absolutely loved having you. This has been an awesome chat. I hope people feel more informed and, and understand a little bit more about cystic fibrosis and maybe, you know, they're inspired to not only run, maybe donate, run for CLF. That's not that's not who uh, is. That's who I'm running for. It's a close kind of uh, little thing there. It is now. very close. Yeah, CLF, CF. No, to run for CF, uh, where would you recommend like donating, or anything like that? Is there any particular kind of organisations? 
Yeah, so Cystic Fibrosis Australia yep. is who I do all my charity stuff through. What I'll do is I'll give a shout-out to a good mate of mine who is about to do a huge fundraiser for CF. Yep. The fundraising page is live. Um, in September, he's kicking off. His name's Lane Storia, and he's running – well, not running, I should say. He's completing – will be completing 36 half Ironmans in 36 days. Wow. Which is huge. huge. Which is huge. So he's doing that um, as a mate of mine who become interested in the cause and wanted to test himself and do something that felt very purpose-driven and very meaningful. So um, that's called Breaking Barriers for CF. If you search that on Google, his fundraising page will pop up. And, um, you know, we're, we're raising money that goes all towards the research, development and advocacy of life-saving drugs for people with cystic fibrosis. So it all goes towards the right stuff. And, you know, the Cystic Fibrosis Organisation, they run a, a very tight ship and, you know, so much of the money goes towards these really groundbreaking results we've had in the last couple of years with incredible drugs and incredible advocacy campaigns. So, you know, I'm really, really proud to have a great mate of mine doing something good for the cause and, you know, I'm, I'm going to champion him all the way. So if anyone wants to go give him some love, get behind the man. Amazing. And I'll make sure that that is, of course, all linked uh, in the show notes as well so people are able to go access that. That's bloody fantastic. 36 Ironmans, half Ironmans. Wild, hey! Like oh, that is got, one half Iron Man is oh, wild. Insane. <laughs> I said to him, like, for anyone listening, that's one point nine k swim. That is a ninety k bike and a twenty one point one kilometer ride run every day for thirty six days, which is insane. Insane. And so I'm like, he's up in Brizzy. Yeah, he'll be doing that up there. And I was like, if I'm up there for a speaking gig, or you know, if I get a chance to come up, or or maybe do one or two of the half marathons with you. But I'm like. The rest of that is all. <laughs> You're on your own, mate. <laughs> no, that's that awesome. Flag, Enjoy. Awesome. And, yeah, like you just touched on there, keynote speaking, storytelling, all of those good things. If anyone has a business or, you know, an organisation or whatever, a school, um, got a lot of teachers on here who who listen as well. Um, make sure that you you book Brad and and have him in and and have him to share his story because I think bloody hell you've got you know I mean I just I'm I'm actually lost for words which is very uncommon for me. <laughs> so I just I can't say thank you enough spending spending time out of your day coming to chat to me and and you know providing us with all that information and being so open with your story and I love it I absolutely love it I yeah. Can't say thank you enough. Honestly, such a pleasure. And like I said, I think you're doing such a service to to people to provide them with a platform that, you know, is going to allow them to take better care of their health and have better awareness around health matters. So thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure and I'm, you know, really hoping that the people who listened and took the time to to check in on this app got something from it and, you know, hopefully they enjoyed their time. Yeah, no worries. You're a bloody legend. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hey team, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It would be a huge help for me and the health classes you missed if you could like, follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. And of course, if you want to keep learning and stay up to date with me, make sure you come and follow me at the health classes you missed on Instagram or THCYM and How's Your Head on TikTok. I've actually got two TikTok accounts now, so make sure you follow both of those to get all of that content. Thanks, guys. See you later.